said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel, nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you, yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. <coughs> like emery harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, or be dismayed before them. Therefore, they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all of my words, which I will say to you, and listen closely. Go to the exiles, to the sons of your people, and speak to them, and tell them whether they listen or not. Thus says the Lord God. God's in charge of this mission. He appoints the servants, he defines the task, he chooses the field, he provides the message, and his is the responsibility for the outcome. This is all the Lord. And uh, he says, I'm not sending you, actually, to a, a foreign field. You know, Ezekiel's not going to be some foreign missionary. There's some advantages to that, right? He doesn't have to learn another language, another culture, try to fit into a different environment. So I'm sending you people, we talk, you talk the same language, you have the same national background at all. And so you would think, well, I mean, you know, you would, he will identify more with the people. They'll, they'll listen to him more than if he would send to another country. Not in this case. He said, really? You know, if you'd have been sent to a foreign people, they would have been more receptive than your own people are because your own people are so hard-headed. That's a really shocking thing. That's saying that Israel was worse in receiving God's message than heathen people would have been. That, that's sad. I mean, that'd be like saying, well, you're more likely to convert a non-Christian than you are to, you know, change the heart of any of these brethren. You know, that'd be kind of a slam. And yet it's the truth in this case. The language barrier would have been easier to overcome than the mental and spiritual block of a hard heart. They're just not receptive. They're, they're not willing to listen. And, you know, Ezekiel says, well, listen, or God says to Ezekiel, you know, um, the house of Israel, verse 7, they won't be willing to listen to you since they're not willing to listen to me. You know, they haven't listened to me either. I mean, what are the chances that the people who reject the Lord would listen to us preach about the Lord? They'll probably only listen to us if we preach something else. Preach something they like better. You know, if they wouldn't hear God, well, how will they hear Ezekiel when he preaches the message of God? They're going to have the same response to him that they had to the Lord. And uh, he says, they, the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Literally, they have a hard forehead. You know, they're hard-headed is what we say. You know, you can't penetrate. You know what they were supposed to have on their forehead was the word of God. Now, I don't know that, I'm not sure that God meant that literally, but either way, they were supposed to have the word on their forehead. Instead, they had made it so hard, the word, word couldn't penetrate through their head. But what's, what's that going to mean for Ezekiel? He says, I've made your face as hard as their faces, your forehead as hard as their forehead, and like emery, harder than flint, I've made your forehead. 
God has, has made Ezekiel tough as nails. He's made him really hard-headed. I mean, he's going to have to be as stubborn for the truth as they were stubborn for evil. I mean, you can't preach to people like this if you're not tough. They're going to hurt your feelings. They're going to reject you. They're going to argue against you. They're going to badmouth you. And you're just going to have to be really tough. It, it, no wimp can preach the Lord's message. Because they ended up wilting. Oh, they didn't like it. Why, why they said it was, it was blasphemous. Or they said it was really, you know, unkind. It was unloving. Or whatever they say. And, and we just feel so terrible about it. Well, I, I didn't mean to be that way. <laughs> or whatever. No, you're going to have to be hard-headed. You're going to have to be tough and strong yourself to do that. You know, this is going to be kind of a head-on collision. And God is equipping Ezekiel emotionally to deal with this anticipated rejection. You know, God's had different prophets for different jobs, right? I mean, you think of Jeremiah as being who? The weeping prophet. Well, Ezekiel's the hard-headed prophet. You know, there's not much weeping here, and there's a whole lot of toughness. Now, there's a time to weep. And there's a time to show compassion and tenderness. There's a time for toughness and strength. When people are just rebellious and stubborn, and they've just steeled themselves against the Lord, that's a time to be tough. That's a time to tell it like it is, and not shrink back and not flinch. And that's what the Lord's telling him. He's not to adapt the message to the preferences of the audience. Verse 10. Son of man, take into your heart all my words, which I will speak to you and listen closely. Go to the exiles and sons of your people and speak to them and tell them whether they listen or not. Thus says the Lord God. That's his job. He takes the message in and then he speaks it as the word of the Lord. You know, there is only one thing that our society is intolerant of. And that's intolerance. You know, we absolutely refuse to tolerate anybody who says, thus says the Lord. This is the way it is. That's the one thing that you can't do. You have to say, well, you know, truth for me is this. You know, I, what, what resonates in my heart is this. If you say, this is what God said. This is the truth. Oh, no. That, that's being intolerant. It's being bigoted. Prideful. Now, what's more prideful? Trying to get somebody to agree with how you feel? Or to simply speak, here's what God said. Now, we shouldn't speak God's message pridefully. We didn't develop it. We didn't write it. We didn't originate it. We're just the messengers. And so we just pass it on. But we need to pass it on, not tentatively, but firmly. Now, understand, there may be some things in the Bible that are difficult to understand, or we're not sure about, or whatever. But the things that are clear... And the things that are true, and we know they're true, and we know what the Word says about them, it's still hard to say it. Because, well, you know, if I say that, 
they're not going to like that because that's going to mean and we just well we have to be hard headed we have to be bold and strong and and notice what the Lord says when he said in verse 11 go to the sons of your people (laughs) those were theoretically God's people but he's not claiming them at the moment go to the sons of your people and uh you know, he's, he's, he just says, speak. You know, you don't have to be effective. You know, I'm not worried about the results. Whether they listen or not, just tell them, thus says the Lord God. So again, we're coming back to that same point. I think such an important point for us. I think something so, so significant for our thinking and our, our hearts is this, this conviction, this commitment. Here is what the Lord says and we preach it that way. With that much strength, with that much firmness. Thoughts and comments. Awesome. I really love verse 10 because it's more than just reading it and internalizing it and Amen. Amen. Jake. I like the visual that you said the word forehead. Uh, it was it, it was actually in, in the Old Testament that word translated also before like before out. And something that's like kind of sticks out like this. And you think of think of something that is that's headstrong or, or head forward, something prominent, that's what you that's either what makes contact first or you see first. I think that's a good visual for, for, for Ezekiel and for us is that, you know, what, what do people see first in us? Is it God's word? Is it our, for, is it our forehead that just stands out with God's word on it? Or is it something else? It's, you know, maybe maybe they see that, but maybe it's in the it's somewhere else on the, don't, that's not as prominent. But, you know, usually you, you look at a person, what you see first is their head, you know, something, or their, their brow, their face. And I, I thought that was good. <coughs> That's exactly right. And obviously, there are various angles that need to be understood. And this point here, <coughs> the toughness and the strength, 
Now, there is a sense in which we need gentleness and patience and meekness in recovering people from the snares of the devil. And that's true also. Sometimes it's a matter of where the people are at. You know, Jude 22 and 23, you vary your approach depending on their situation. Here, they're just hard-headed, and they just need to hear the message. Yes, Winston. Yes, I think that is the idea. I mean, Ezekiel's hard, hard forehead, his hard-headedness, is just an unwavering commitment to speak the message whether people like it or not. I mean, you know, you don't let their, you know, how they see you doesn't change your commitment to God and your commitment to speak his message. Kelly. Other thoughts? Yes. So it's important that we not be hard-headed in a rebellious sense. You know, we've got to be moldable by the word of the Lord, submissive to the word of the Lord, trusting in his word. So it's possible for us just to develop a stubbornness against what the Lord really says in a rebellious attitude. We need to be humble. Peterson. Yes. Good point. First Peter three fifteen. We we teach with uh, meekness and, and fear. Yeah. We 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 certainly our, our approach is not smart aleck. It's not like ah, I told you what the Bible said. You know, I, I'm I'm going I'm to tell it like it is. You know, as if it's me. There's a respect for saying, "Thus says the Lord." It's not like, "Hey, I know it all. Just listen to me." It's here's what the Lord says. This is my job to re- pass on what the Lord revealed. Okay? Yeah, awesome. Do we think about every encounter that we come into that this is God's 
Amen. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we need to see people much more in the sense of is this not someone that I need to speak the word of the Lord to? Look, I just keep um, keep being brought back to verse twenty-five, the first verse, where these glorious creatures came carrying the Lord, making this great sound, and then as soon as they got there, they dropped the wings and they were silent, and they let the Lord speak. It's not about what we're doing, it's not about us. It's about what the message is. It's about the Amen. Yes, exactly. So the focus is speaking the message of the Lord. That is the key. Yeah. Jake? Uh, it's already been said. I'm just going to expound on it. The, the, thus says the Lord. You know, I, the, the older I've... What? The more time I spend interacting with people, uh, when, when it's, I'm, I'm trying to speak already said um, I'm learning to just say this is what God says Like I, I try not to even say well the Bible says this or the Bible says that in, in this verse you know I, I want to you know, quote and, and refer to them where it says it but I want to make sure God yeah. says this about this this is what God is conveying because um, not only do we want to impress other people I think the more we say that that becomes our vocabulary that becomes our language our thoughts are going to follow that as well and you know we're going to be our heart is going to be more molded towards, okay, what I'm doing is just letting God speak. So when we tell them what the Bible says, the fact is we're telling them what the Lord says, and that, that is what the focus ought to be. This is the Lord's message. Uh, it's not just some book. It is the Lord's book, and that is uh, critical. Good thoughts, good, good comments and discussion. How about 12 to 15? kind of the end of the vision that began in early chapter 1 where now the spirit lifts him and he hears the rumbling sound, he hears the wings, the beings, the wheels and uh, you know the spirit has uh, brought him now back to the river Kibar where he's among the exiles so I think the spirit had taken him somewhere for this vision and this communication and now he's back at his post where he is supposed to do what the vision told him to do. Speak the word of the Lord. Isn't that what God said to do? Now, there, this is a really challenging passage to interpret. And so my take will not be everybody's take. But let me defend my viewpoint. It says that he went embittered in the rage of my spirit. And the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. The, the bitterness and rage. Bitterness is used of like 
the emotion Esau felt when he'd been robbed of uh, his blessing. When Israel was enslaved, they felt the bitterness. When Naomi said, don't call me pleasant, call me Mara, bitter. Uh, Job was in agony and talked about the bitterness that he was going through. It's a pretty strong word for bitterness. He was bitter. He was embittered in the rage of his spirit. Rage, again, is a really strong word. Ezekiel was bitter and angry. Now, wonder why and wonder what that means. Well, look at verse 15. He came to the river Kibar Tel Aviv, and I sat there seven days where they were living, causing consternation among them. So he stays there seven days. What is not said that you would think would have been said right there? What's he supposed to do? Speak the word. Go and preach. Supposed to speak the word. What's he doing? I may be wrong, but it looks to me like he's resisting what God says. That he's not none too happy about the responsibility he's been given. And he just goes there and sits for seven days. And doesn't say anything. When God told him, speak, 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 speak. Now, I could sure see why. This is not encouraging. I I don't want to go and speak to a bunch of people I think are going to hate me and reject me and, you know, may tar and feather me. So I could see why Ezekiel would resent the imposition on his life and would just shut his mouth. I, I take this a little bit from the next section as well. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I've appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. And he goes and talks to him about <clears throat> what it means to be a watchman. And I think a week's long enough. God's patience is running out. It's like, he's got a responsibility. I mean, you're the watchman, you're going to warn. That's your job. Go do it. So I'm taking this in contrast to things I've heard as Ezekiel resisted initially what God told him to do until God kind of lays down the ultimatum. You got to do it or else, you know, you're the one responsible for their condemnation if you don't warn them. If you warn them, then they're responsible for their own lack of obedience when they don't obey. Something that caught my eye uh, just as much as the embittered is that, that, like you said, that passage is kind of full of, well, what is that? Like this language, what's he talking about? Is your hand upon me? Because that's, uh, David talked about that in uh, in Psalms. Uh, something. Bit, uh, in, I'm thinking here specifically 38. And of course this can be um, applied in different circumstances, but um, just the, the first few verses, oh, oh Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath. And chasing me not in your burning anger, for your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hand has pressed down upon me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. And I think, you know, I, I don't, I don't know whether this, is, this would be the correct. I just, I can, I can see how one can make a case for because of the sin and the iniquity of his own people. He's feeling this way, and, and of course, God calling him out to do this work. You know, God's pressing in on him, and his soul is embittered, maybe for multiple reasons, maybe not just because, oh, well, I have to do this, but also because, wow, I have to do this. Like, look at this. Like, 
I shouldn't have to be doing this. Like, what am I thinking? There's lots of different perspectives, so I'll be glad to hear various uh, mm-hmm. ones. Other thoughts and comments? I, I, I don't know if I have a disagreement or, or a different viewpoint, but it is interesting that uh, when God tells him to do something, stand up, the Spirit takes him. And so in this case, the Spirit lifted him up and took him there, as if to say, you know. <coughs> Could be. Yeah, although it may be that that's the only form of transportation to get back there, but, uh, yeah. Jason. So, was it just his presence among them that Yeah, good question. I mean, I think him being there and not talking. Can you imagine somebody just sitting in the middle of him for seven days just sitting there, kind of in a catatonic state or something? I don't know. That's what I think. That reminds me of Job's three friends. Yeah. Well, I see Job's three friends as their most eloquent yeah. moments were when they were quiet. <laughs> they didn't know what to say, and that didn't stop them. We have been told what to say. Ezekiel is told what to say, and he's not saying it. Jason. Yeah, he said, said among them, said among them, and God finally says, "Son of man, you got to warn him." So, to me, in the context, he's not speaking. Now, again, there's some other ways to take this, so you're welcome to present those, Chuck. Anything's possible. He was certainly doing that. Yeah. So if we procrastinate, we're delaying our obedience. Yeah, which is not the right thing to do. Zed, you want to say something? It looks like. Do you? Do you agree with that? Okay. Cool. Got one supporter, Nicole. I mean, that's another question. But yeah, God's going to put a gag order on him and he won't be able to say anything except what the Lord says. Maybe so. That would be one way of looking at it is, well, you didn't talk what I told you to, so now you can't say anything but that. Uh, Maybe there's some other ways of taking that as well, but yeah. Yes, Sid. Yeah, I sort of wanted to follow this he goes down there and does say anything. God says, you need to say something. And perhaps he's equal saying, you want me to say something? I'm going to say something. <laughs> God says, now hold on. You're not going to be a man. You're going to say what I told you to say. No more, no less. I think sometimes we want to sort of blow down and let him have those barrels. And that's not going to serve God's purpose. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. Whether we're soft peddling it or whether or not we're, you know, just lambasting them on our own power and authority, 
No, we tell them the word of the Lord. It's not us. We get ourselves out of the, out of the picture. This is not me upset with you, telling you off. This is not me deciding unilaterally I can soften what God says. It's just you speak the message. That's our job. That It's such a simple concept. But I think we struggle with that. I think we've become conditioned to think a lot of times in other ways. And, and you know, so we're more concerned about how are we going to package the message than just making sure we get the message accurately delivered. That's what we need to mostly focus on. How can we present that message the way God wants the message to be presented? Yeah. drawn to the responsibilities God gives us. We not, may not feel adequate. We aren't. Uh, the Lord it makes us adequate. But, you know, he's, you know, we've got a message. We've got a responsibility. And so we just have to be submissive. Even if we feel like, ah, this is not my personality, this is not my nature, this is not my skill set or whatever. Yes. Brian. submitting. But yes, you're exactly right. I think Ezekiel is from here on out very submissive and does exactly what God says however we interpret this passage. Awesome.
Yeah. As we often are. I mean, you know, whatever we want to say about Ezekiel, if there is, if this is some reluctance on his part, whoa, there'd been way more on my part. I mean, wow. I, this, again, so convicting and, and troubling in many ways. You know, in that, I mean, it ought to be that the word is spread by us. It ought to be that those around us know that we want to tell them the word of the Lord. They may not listen. That's not our point. But they need to know a prophet's been among them. They need to know that there have been people around them eager to tell them what the word of the Lord says. And doing that to the extent they're willing to allow them. This reminds me of when Moses goes into the tent of meeting and is with the Lord for an extended period of time. When he comes out, his, his face is glowing and it scares the people and it causes consternation among them. Uh, just the holiness that's radiating off of Moses. There may be a bit of shock that Ezekiel's going through from going from absolute holiness to absolute depravity of the exiles that... As NIV and King James, they have astonished, overwhelmed. He's just, like, broken there. And uh, he also may be, like, waiting for what the word he's supposed to give them. Uh, because, like, at the end of the seven days, the word came to him. Uh, is the immediate following verse. Um, but just that, that thought of he's been with the Lord, and now he's just in a terrible state. What? What a simple experience that would be. Certainly. Yeah. Interesting thoughts. Lots of ways to look at this. J.D.? take a about a 15 minute break or so five or just a little bit after 